Hey guys, if you're listening to this podcast, we invite you to check out our website at dead-celebs.com. Tonight, we're going to talk about musician, actor, Prince. Welcome to the Dead Celebs Podcast with your hosts, Brent Novak and Tana Satterley. Hi, Tana. How are you? I'm good, Brent. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, so Prince is on the table tonight. Anything that sticks out before we move forward on the on the show tonight? You know, aside from being on stage, was a very quiet and soft-spoken man. And I think that kind of surprised me. His intensity is inward, definitely. All right, but first, are they dead or are they alive? So here's how it works. I picked six celebrities. Some are dead, some are alive. As of today's date, September 13th, 2023, I'm going to show a picture and give a brief description of who they are. And Tana is going to guess if that person is alive or if they are dead. Mm. All right, Tana, first up is musician Joni Mitchell. She's known for Big Yellow Taxi, Both Sides Now, and other hits. Do you know if Joni Mitchell is alive or if she's dead? I think she's alive. I think I would have remembered if she passed. Joni Mitchell is alive. Congratulations. As of today's date, she is 79 years old. You can know who he is. Is that Bob Newhart? That is Bob Newhart. So Tana, up next is legendary TV star Bob Newhart. He's known for The Bob Newhart Show. And later on in the 80s, early 90s, show is called Newhart. Is Bob Newhart, stand-up comedian, alive or dead? Um, I... I think he's alive. I don't remember hearing anything. He's alive. He is 94 years old. So you are on a hot streak. This man was married to the famous Tina Turner. This is Ike Turner. He is best known for being married to Tina Turner, having the group Ike and Tina. Tana, my question to you, is Ike alive or dead? I think he's alive. I don't remember hearing him passing. Tana, the streak is over. Ike is dead. December 12th, 2007, he died at 76 years old. Oh my. Yeah, so it's been a bit. Okay. All right, so our fourth famous celebrity is this man. He's, I believe he's an Oscar winner. He's best known for The French Connection, Superman, and many other classic movies. This man is named Gene Hackman. Hannah, is he alive or is he dead? I think he's dead. He's alive. Gene Hackman is 90. He is 93 years old. And as of September 13th today, he's alive. That's so great though. Do you know an underrated movie that I love him in is called Heartbreakers. Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt, they're con women and they try to con him and he's fantastic. It's a, it's such a funny movie. We are moving forward and so far so okay. You're two for four. This is another singer from the 1970s. Her name is Judy Collins. She's best known for Sending the Clowns and Both Sides Now. Tana, my question to you is Judy Collins, is she alive or is she dead? I'm afraid to guess now. I. 
I'm going to guess that she's dead. Judy Collins is alive. She's 84 <laughs> years old. I, lo Sorry, I love, I actually, I love seeing you get these wrong more than anything, actually. <laughs> Bless her heart. Bless her heart. So you can still see Judy Collins, I'm sure, okay. somewhere, 84. But I think Joni Mitchell actually, I think Joni Mitchell still might be touring. All right. Wow. So Tana, okay. we have given you five celebrities and you have gotten two right and three wrong. So this man right here is legendary film actor Cindy Portier. And he's known for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, where I believe he won an Oscar, uh, The Jackal, and Sneakers starring Robert Redford. Tana. Is Cindy Portier alive or dead? He is dead. I yes. do remember that. <laughs> he is dead. He died. He died January 6th, 2022 at 94 years old. And those are the celebrities that are alive or dead as of today's date, September 13th, 2023. Oh, dang you. So our next segment of the show is what celebrities we recently lost July 20 of 23. Our seventh episode coincides with the seventh month of the year. I picked six celebrities and mostly based on popularity and or interesting stories. There's a lot of people we missed. The first celebrity we have is Coco Lee, the Hong Kong singer-songwriter who voiced Mulan in the Mandarin version of the Disney classic and was featured on the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Runaway Bride soundtracks, Lee began her singing career in the 1990s and went on to release more than 15 studio albums over the next 30 years. She's best known for her hit, A Love Before Time, and was nominated Best Original Song at the 2001 Oscar. She died by suicide on July 5th. She was 48. 48. Another suicide. And I find those mm. extremely interesting and extremely sad. Inga Swenson, who received three primetime Emmy nominations for her role as Gretchen Krauss on Benson, as well as two Tony nods for her work on Broadway, died July 23rd. She was born in Omaha. Swenson first broke into television with the 1957 episode of Goodyear Playhouse. She then played the Swedish-born mom, Kareen Tate, on Soap, before nabbing the role of beloved German head housekeeper Gretchen Krauss on the series spin-off Benson. She was an Emmy nominee in 1980, 82, 85 for her work on the sitcom. In addition to her film and TV work, she ultimately retired from acting in 1998. She was 90 years old. Bo Goldman, Academy Award-winning screenwriter for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Melvin and Howard by July 25th. Based on the 1962 Ken Kesey novel, Cuckoo's Nest was Goldman's first produced screenplay and remains one of only three films to win Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. Goldman's other screenwriting credits include Scent of a Woman, Meet Joe Black, and Rules Don't Apply. He was 90. Irish singer-songwriter Sinead O'Connor, best known for her hit cover of Prince's Nothing Compares to You. O'Connor released 10 albums mm -hmm. over the course of her career, including her 1987 debut, The Lion and the Cobra. But she was perhaps even more famous for her outspokenness and frequent brushes with controversy, including her 1991 boycott of the Grammy. She spoke openly about her personal struggles with mental health and abuse. O'Connor also routinely criticized the Catholic Church and its handling of sexual abuse accusations. In 1992, she 
tore up a photo of the Pope during a guest performance on Saturday Night Live, a move that dogged her career and her relationship mm. with the media for the rest of her days. In the last few years of her life, she released a memoir titled Rememberings and participated in the documentary Nothing Compares about her career mm. and life. Died July 26th. She was mm. 56 years old. Pee Wee Herman. Paul Rubens, the actor and comedian best loved for his role as Pee Wee Herman, died July 30th at age 70. Rubens began his career in the 1970s as a member of the Los Angeles live comedy troupe, The Groundlings. He rose to prominence for his role as the childlike Pee Wee Herman, first introduced in his 1981 stage show, The Pee Wee Herman Show. The success led to an HBO special, three feature films, 1985's Pee Wee's Big Adventure, 1988's Big Top, Pee Wee, and 2016's Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and TV series Pee Wee's Playhouse, which ran on CBS between 1986 and 1990. He starred in a number of other projects throughout his career, including films Batman Returns, The Blues Brothers, Cheech and Chong's Next Movie, Blow, Mystery Men, and the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Rubens also made appearances in shows 30 Rock, Pushing Daisies, Murphy Brown, What We Do in the Shadows. So Tony Bennett passed away. He was the last of that generation. Any connections to the 1940s was him. The velvet-voiced, impeccable, elegant croner who ruled America's mid-century music landscape died July 21st following a battle with Alzheimer's disease. Born Anthony Dominic Bandito, the vocalist used the GI Bill to study singing after serving as an infantryman in World War II and was signed to Columbia Records in 1949. A string of popular hits followed, and by mid-1950s, Bennett began to widen his musical reach, exploring jazz and swing and the likes of Al Basie, Art Blakey, and developing his chops with live performance and the hits like I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Released more than 60 studio albums and earned 20 Grammys, including Lifetime Achievement Awards, two Emmys, and at least one Guinness World Record entry for the longest time between the release of an original recording and a re-recording of the same single by the same artist. The George Gershwin song, Fascinating Rhythm. Tony was 96. That's an interesting world record. Who thinks those up, by the way? Check out our sister podcast, Talk Murder to Me. Step into the captivating world of true crime with an unexpected twist of humor. With John's compelling narrative and Jen and Nicole's amazing banter, this podcast offers an entertaining and unique approach to true crime storytelling. Talk Murder to Me can be found on any podcast platform, also streaming live Saturdays on YouTube. We're going to talk about Sky 5-3 and nothing but energy and sexuality. 5'2". 5'2". 5'2". Say that because I'm 5'3". And knowing that he was 5'2 and that I'm actually taller than him just really blows my mind. Prince Rogers Nelson was born June 7th in 1958 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Prince, I did not know this, was his real name. Did you know that? That was his father's stage name when he performed. Kind of a rocky relationship with his parents. John Lewis Nelson... Maddie Della Shaw names. They had one other full sibling, uh, a girl, uh, Taika, I believe her name was. Eventually five other half siblings. Rocky Road with his parents. I think this influences a lot of his music. Forward. They were very strict. They were God-fearing Seventh-day Adventists. I think that there was a lot of pressure to look the part and be the super religious people that they claimed they were. 
it was so contradictory because they were going out, his parents at night, you know, his mom being a, an aspiring singer and his dad, an aspiring musician would go to these nightclubs and dress up in all these sexy clothes. And that was really opposite of what they were preaching during the day. So I think it, it was probably really confusing for Prince. I would be confused too. When you're 10 years old and you're told one thing and shown another or kind of shows in Prince's the way he acts and the who he is, is there's a sense of confusion. Up until the age of seven, he's suffering epileptic seizures. I think the really cool story of how he stopped having them, he came into his mom's room one night and said, Mom, I'm not going to be sick anymore. And she said, oh, really? And why is that? And he said, because an angel told me so. He didn't have any more seizures after that. <laughs> Whether you believe in that kind of stuff or not, you could say two different things. God came down and said, you are healed now. Could be. Mm -hmm. And another thing could be he envisioned it. Ability to self-heal himself possibly work too. We don't know. And that's what makes it so much fun. But I think it's so cool. Either way, he stopped having seizures. So that's great. Me too. His life is going to get bumpy here early on though. His parents divorce when he's just... 10 and he decides to live with his dad a couple years goes by he is caught with a girl in one of the rooms of the house by his father and he is kicked out he calls his sister to try to get back in the home and his sister says call dad all he wants is an apology prince calls dad from a payphone is cold is crying and dad is not allowing him back he wanted prince to get on his knees and beg so he could tell him no. Backing up when they first got divorced and he was 10 years old, they decided that was when he needed to learn about the birds and the bees. And he learned a little bit more than he needed to. They gave him a playboy, 10 years old. And so no wonder he's, he's already experimenting with girls at age 12. How can they expect him not to do that if they if they're introducing it to him at such a young age, right? Right. Well, and it all depends on what what are we talking about experimenting at twelve? Is it two kids just holding hands and and maybe kissing? So it all depends. But then again, I mean, the way that his father is described, he's a very harsh man, and so it it could have been very innocent. His dad just flipped out, obviously. So Prince gets kicked out. There's rumors on where he lives. Family does take him in. It may be a relative. It may be uh, family friends. He couldn't find out. Right? <laughs> it was conflicting, actually. Yeah. Basement of a family that lived down the street. Who knows? But somebody <laughs> takes him in. Thank goodness. During this time, Prince learns to play any instrument he can get his hands on. And he goes crazy. First, he had aspirations of being a pro basketball player. And Prince loved basketball at this point. Uh, but realizing he wasn't going to get fuller and made it very hard, even though even though there's been NBA players at the 5'7", five, 5'8", five, five, I think Muggsy Bogues was 5'4", and he played a good 10 solid years. You never know. But Prince had some, some basketball skills, as Dave Chappelle talks about later on in his career. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's great to aspire to something. Someone told him that he can't or he couldn't, and he tried to prove them wrong. I feel like he did that with his music too. So to Prince for pushing through and, and going for it. In fact, one interview I saw, the question was, if you weren't a musician, what kind of career occupation would you be in? He didn't know. He didn't have an answer. But he said when he was 16, he was looking for work or odd jobs or something. He looked into the yellow pages and he said, I couldn't find anything I wanted to do. So at that moment, it's when I decided to pursue being a musician full time and 
give it everything I've got. He didn't have a plan B. But he worked so hard that when you, if you can teach yourself to play any musical instrument, somebody is going to hire you, even if he doesn't yeah. dominate the way he does. Somebody's going to hire you in some form, especially at that young age. A local black community realizes this kid's got talent. They're pitching in to pay for his studio, his first studio album. He is knocking everybody's socks off and he's 15 years old. First recorded song he plays every instrument on the song you can't tell it's one person playing six different instruments it's pretty amazing so at 19 prince signs a deal with warner brothers on his first million dollars goes back to his dad and buys his dad a house and a car his dad is not kind to him he starts out kind but eventually according to what we looked at turns on him and he's never still never good enough he's got too many swear words in his songs something is always wrong and he's very critical yeah very critical prince's big opportunity and big break comes on american bandstand and he's interviewed for the first mm -hmm. time by dick clark and he is in front of everybody and he just he admits later on that it's the first time he realized millions of people were watching him. And if you see the interview, it's really uncomfortable. Dick Clark saved it because Prince acts so weird in the whole thing. Bless his heart. I felt so bad for him. He does say later on that it was because of that interview that he rarely gave interviews because he didn't want to be put on the spot. He seems a little socially awkward. I don't think he was ready for it, though, either. I mean, today we have publicists and managers prep you and they coach you on when you're going into interviews, but I'm sure nobody was helping him at that stage. So after American Bandstand, Prince, February of 1981, makes his Saturday Night Live debut, performing the song Party Up. Also in 1981, Prince formed a side project band called The Time. So Little Red Corvette mm -hmm. comes around the same time in 1982, 1999, finally kind of is his big bigger breakout before Purple Rain. Like what kind of foresight does someone have to have? That was genius. That was pure genius because that song was inevitably going to come back around in 1999. Seen him interviewed about this and they were talking about the computer, Y2K and, and how, you know, change the world was going to change. And so it got him thinking, how was music going to change or, or how was my life going to change? And that's how he came up with it. 1984, Purple Rain. I did not watch the movie when it came out, but I watched it here recently. If I were to view it as a really long music video, great. I, I did not care for the acting. And I think I've, I've heard others say the same, that Prince was a musician. He, he wasn't an actor, bless his heart. But back then, nobody was doing movies like that. And music videos were just coming out. So that was a big thing. In that time frame, I remember having MTV and everybody thought that videos was the thing. It was the most amazing for some reason. Looking back, it's really not that big of a deal. But then yeah. it really was. And how to be yeah. creative using music, you know. And if you think about it, we did that forever in the 1940s and 30s. We were doing musicals and people are dancing and singing at the same time. What I don't really get the difference. It's not really that different. 84 hits, Purple Rain, like you said, is a huge success. This starts a rivalry with Michael Jackson. One is doing things to the other. There's a show Prince goes to of Michael's where he brings reflective mirror shaped like a heart and purposely is 
putting it in Michael Jackson's face as he's performing on stage. So both Prince and Michael Jackson are at a James Brown concert. James Brown, knowing Michael Jackson for years, gets Michael Jackson on stage and Michael steals the show. James Brown is loving it. Michael whispers in James Brown's ear, bring up Prince. James Brown does not know who Prince is at this time. Brings Prince up, actually is being carried by his bodyguard, goes on stage, doesn't really know what to do, but he knows how to play the guitar. Grabs a guitar, starts riffing crazily on this guitar, but really has nowhere to go with it. And he knew Michael had set him up. But Prince handles it pretty well. When he's done, he puts the guitar down. And as he's leaving, there's a prop light set up. And Prince, thinking that it's a sturdy light, uses it to get down the stage and off the stage. And the light starts falling down. Totally humiliates. Quincy Jones, at the same time, is also good friends with Michael. Like, Michael has been in the music industry since he was five. Prince has not been in as long. He's uh, roughly 20, between 26 and 28, maybe looking at six to eight years. Quincy Jones tries to bring them two together. At this point, with Purple Rain, Prince has a couple of Grammys. He's got a bunch of hits. His album is in second place behind only Michael Jackson. Quincy wants Mm -hmm. to bring them together. The song they wanted he wants them both to do is the song bad. There's a get together for dinner at Quincy Jones house. The phone rings. Neither of them are there yet. And Quincy answers or Quincy's assistant or somebody who's there answers. And it's Mike. And Michael asks, is Prince there yet? And he says, no, he's not there yet. Hangs up. Prince calls. And Prince says, is Michael there yet? This went on for a good 20 minutes. Neither of them wanted to be the first one at this get together. So finally, Quincy says to Michael, when he calls, he says, Michael, stop this. You come now. I don't know when Prince is coming, but no matter what, you come and have dinner. So Michael shows up. Prince then shows up. The two of them discuss singing on Bad together. And if you know the lyrics of Bad, it's a, it's, they're tough. They're tough lyrics. And really, like, I thought that too, when I first heard the song, that Michael really doesn't fit the lyrics. Like, who's bad? I mean. I mean, one punch and Michael could hit the ground. And Prince said that. Prince is like, you're not, you're not bad. You're not not bad. This is embarrassing. The other thing is Prince said, you know, he disagreed. The very first line is your butt is mine. And he's like, who's going to say that to who? I'm not saying that to him. He's not saying that to me. So this is not going to work. Oh my gosh. Your butt is mine. I I agree with Prince that that would not have worked. (laughs) I thought it was very gracious. Prince did say, after declining to be a part of it, that this song is going to be a hit regardless of whether my voice is on. Yeah, and he he knew a thing or two also about hits. Sticking a little bit on the rivalry. Quincy also goes out in 1985 and uses his connections to get as many people involved in the song We Are the World to help feed starving people in Africa. Everybody from the 1980s is there from Bob Dylan, Paul Simon. They're all there. And Quincy busted his tail to get everybody. And he asks Prince to come and Prince does it. Prince offers to play a guitar lick on the song, but he wants to do it in a separate room. According to Lionel Richie, Lionel was on the phone with Prince and said, get here. We want you here. Prince kind of said, I don't really want to be involved with too many people. It was, it was too overwhelming. So many stars. Lionel's like, I'll put you right next to Michael. Prince said for sure. 
I'm not coming. So that was the last time Lionel Richie in Prince actually taught 1985 for We Are the World. So bizarre. I mean, for a reason not to be a part of something because of a rivalry with somebody. I don't know. They have big egos. Their big egos out of control. <laughs> but if you look at both of their childhoods, that's all they have. Like they don't come from a love. Yeah. I'm talking both Michael and Prince. What I knew about Michael's problems growing up, I didn't know about Prince's. A lot of artists, they take that pain in childhood, but on this front, they put up this wall and, and the shield and they use their talent. That's what they're hiding behind. So 1985, the song Darling Nikki gains wide notoriety for its sexual lyrics and a reference to masturbation, after which Tipper Gore, she heard her 11-year-old daughter listening to this song. This prompted her to, she founded the Parents Music Resource Center. They advocated for the mandatory use of a warning label, which became a thing, parental advisory, explicit lyrics. So yeah, that prompted a whole revolution of censorship. They wanted the censorship. Yes. Eventually, and it's probably a good five years later, Two Live Crew and WA come out. They're talked about like not even putting their music out at all because the song oh. F the Police is out. They wanted that music gone. <laughs> I don't blame her too. Like why, as parents and a five-year-old, I want to at least know, I don't really care that songs are bad. I just don't want my five-year-old, six-year-old listening to it. But this reverses on her. Her people hear Darling Nikki because of the publicity from Tipper. Sells prints so many records. Backing up quick to 1984 when Purple Rain came out, he was told on day one by director Albert Magnoli that the film needed a montage song that dealt heavily on emotions. He responded with two songs the next morning, written, produced, and recorded. And one of the songs was the smash hit When Doves Cry. He did that in one day. If you listen to the lyrics of When Doves Cry, it definitely, now that we know the backstory of his parents, direct song to the two of them. Yes. And right. So yeah. is there talk about a a Purple Rain 2 at some point? There is. It's called Graffiti Bridge. There was a soundtrack album that accompanied that movie. The film did terrible in the box office and was nominated for several Razzie Awards. So yeah. what was that about? Uh, uh, no idea. I Yeah, I just remember hearing it. I, I didn't see it. I didn't I only remember Purple Rain. So not an actor. So 1991, Prince keeps charting. Diamonds and Pearls, which is a song I can't stand. That rises to number three on the Billboard's 200. Uh, mm. Get Off is a very good song. It's a saucy dance song. And he also appears in the 1991 MTV Music Awards to do a live performance of the song get off. He was one of very few artists who denied Weird Al Yankovic to perform any parodies of his songs. Madonna only let Weird Al do like one song. Here's a little bit about Madonna too. In the fall of 1992, Prince had signed a record $100 million deal with Warner Brothers. It was considered the largest recording and music publishing contract in history. To compare that to Michael Jackson and Madonna, their deals were about 60 million plus each. He was doubling Jackson and yeah. Madonna. Some of the people he spent time collaborating with Shaka Khan, Nate O'Connor, who we talked about in this podcast, who recently passed away, Tom Jones, Alicia Keys, Patti LaBelle, just to name a few. Elton John has described 
Prince as, upon his death, the best live performer he had ever seen. In 93, Prince becomes a symbol. It's a fusion of male and female astrological symbols, which he used mm-hmm. until 2000. Seven years, Prince was a symbol. Prince's first wife, Mayate Garcia, was married to Prince in October of 1996. She was pregnant, and the doctors said there was a problem with the baby. The head was abnormal, and the baby was still born. They decided not to abort it. The doctors did recommend that they should. The baby survives the birth, passes away after just six days. And here is what's fascinating. Prince goes on Oprah, knowing his baby died, shows Oprah the house, shows Oprah the baby's area, and tells her that everything is fine. No matter what you hear, everything is fine. Serious denial. Serious denial. I guess that's one way of coping with it. I, you know, I, I go back to, you know, when she was pregnant, out that the baby has Pfeiffer syndrome and the doctor recommends, you know, they terminate the pregnancy. I thought it was very brave, but Prince said, no, we don't want to terminate. We, I believe God is going to heal our baby. And that's a lot of faith. I a lot of faith. I don't know if I would have had the same kind of faith that he had in that situation. Medically speaking, knowing that it is a fatal disease going through with the entire pregnancy. I, I just I just wonder what she was thinking. They coped with, with that pregnancy the full term. I mean, and, and the baby lives for six days, but it's on life support. It, it really breaks my heart for them because that could not have been easy. And doing that show on Oprah, it doesn't surprise me that he was out of his mind. Yeah, he was definitely dealing with depression. But here's a little bit about Pfeiffer syndrome. He was born with his eyes outside the sockets and his hands and feet with a web paw-like appearance. He was curled on his side, gasping shallow little gulps of air. Because there were no lids to blink, his eyes looked startled and dry. I caught a hold of his tiny hand saying over and over, Mama loves you. Mama's here. Oh, so sad. And Garcia tries and again next year to have another baby, and she miscarriages as well. And the two of them divorce in 2000. I believe Prince does try again with his second wife. Failure again. So Prince never was able to, to have mm-hmm. a child. And, you know, it's sad because I think that he really wanted to know what that parental love felt like, because I don't think that he experienced that himself. His first producer, Chris Moon, I remember him saying, you know, that he, he was a hugger. And so when he got close to Prince and he he tried to give him a hug and Prince just kind of stood there just really stiff and didn't know what to do and didn't know how to accept it. He, he just, he didn't know how to receive and accept love. I think that's manifested throughout the rest of his life. How sad and how unfortunate that was. And and maybe things could have been different if he had his own child. He's no longer with Warner Brothers at this time. He gets out of his contract after signing such a big deal just a couple of years earlier. At this point, people are telling him the only way you're going to make money now without the record label behind you is to tour. He's got to get on his high heels and start boogieing down. So part of him leaving the record label, he wanted more control over what he produced or what he put out. It sounds kind of odd, but he wanted to put out more and more and more. They didn't want him to saturate the market. Some interview I saw that he was comparing years earlier, 
different artists would put out every three months a new album. And that's kind of how the role he was on. But in, in the time that he was recording and, and doing music, it was almost like the record labels wanted to stifle that and, and, and control how much went out. And that was a big reason why he left. There, there's a little bit of that, I agree, because if you get too much of anything, you don't want it. Too much chocolate, too much ice cream is too much. If he wants to keep going, there's talks that he is running 20 hour days, his mm -hmm. home studio. These people have to go as they're working with him in shifts. Doing this in those heels that we talked about, he's rehearsing in them, which blows my mind. 20 hours a day in heels, no thank you. It affects his hip, which is going to lead partially to his death, which is sad. 2006 comes about. He performs during the Super Bowl halftime show to a massive stage shaped as his famous symbol amid pouring rain. The event was watched by 140 million people. 2010 was a year of accolades for Prince. Not only did he lauded by Billboard.com as the greatest Super Bowl performer ever, he also was featured in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of the World and earned a Lifetime Achievement Award from the BET Awards. He ended the year with an induction into the Grammy Hall of Fame, all in 2010. The big year. These years of performing in heels on stage, when we say performing, singing, and playing his instruments, he's also doing a lot of dance moves, and he's jumping off of things and landing hard on these heels. That has got to do something to your body. He has to have a hip replacement. He's in a lot of pain for a lot of years. It, it really takes its toll on his body. He's using a cane. Yeah, because of that, he's on a lot of pain pills. He is not showing his face at public events as much as he used to. There's a time where yeah. people don't remember seeing him in public. And then he starts showing up and he decides to do a concert as we approach the death of Prince in 2016. We're talking 2014, 2015. Knowing his health and knowing his hip issues, Prince wants to do mostly a sit-down piano-style concert. He begins the tour of this concert, again, in a lot of pain and using a cane, but using as a fashion symbol. The last few years before Prince died, he was somewhat of a recluse. He stayed indoors, probably because he was in a lot of pain and didn't want people to see that. His whole house, his compound, he had everything. He had his music studio. He There was an apartment. There was He had these people at his beck and call. He didn't need to go anywhere. Chris Moon, he talked about Prince wanting his people to buy homes or to build homes on his property. And so everyone could be right there and it would be like their own compound. And the way that he described it, it was, he's like, it was starting to get a little bit weird, a little bit Howard Hughes. And that's kind of what I picture the last few years of Prince's life to be. And it's sad. What happened? Paisley you know? Park is a gigantic 55,000 square foot complex. It has a basketball mm -hmm. court. It's an enormous, gigantic place. Like you said, it becomes his sanctuary. It's really his life. He has concerts there. It's a one-stop shop for everything. Charlie Murphy is talking about one night, him his brother Eddie, they're out partying. They see Prince there. Prince invites him and his buddies back to his to Paisley Park. He invites them to listen to music, but it turns into a basketball game. 
And in this little parody where Dave Chappelle is dressed up as Prince, very funny to me because Dave Chappelle is much taller than Prince. They're sitting there, Dave Chappelle as Prince. I'm bored. Let's go play basketball. He gathers up uniforms, basketball shorts, t-shirts for Charlie Murphy and his guys. And they go out on the court. And then here comes Prince and his and the revolution. And they're still in their club gear. So the guys are just cracking up at this. But it, it turns out Prince is a really good basketball player. And so is his crew. And they completely just beat Dumb. the crap out of Right. That's what the funniest part is. You're looking at little five foot two Prince yes. and his he dressed in heels and he just balls it. He just, just takes over. They go back inside and he serves them pancakes. Dave Chappelle is dressed up as Prince with his, you know, ruffled blouse. And in fact, in the basketball game, that's what he said. It'll be the shirts versus the blouses. So there's this whole picture. You've got Dave Chappelle dressed up as Prince serving pancakes. And it ends up being on Prince's next album. The Dave Chappelle show is one of the most iconic comedies ever created. So Paisley Park is where Prince will be found dead in an elevator on April 21st, 2016. April 15th, 2016, on his final tour, he's flying from Atlanta back to Minneapolis, and he is with his bodyguard, his protege, Judith Hill. The two were chatting and eating food when he knows something was wrong. His eyes fixed, he'll recall, to the New York Times. Seconds later, the iconic musician was unconscious. Hill grabbed Prince's life, longtime friend, former backup dancer, Kirk Johnson. The man shook Prince to try to rouse him, but no response. They could feel a heartbeat, but it seemed irregular. We knew it was only a matter of time. We had to get him down. In hindsight, they recalled that Prince wasn't feeling well the night of the concerts in Atlanta. Backstage after the show, he said that Prince told her, maybe I've done all I'm supposed to do here on this earth. And that he found life incredibly boring. The pilot requested a landing. Chicago, send us an ambulance. The flight was about an hour away from its destination and Prince was on board and was unresponsive. The EMT met the flight at the Quad City International Airport in Moline, Illinois, where the flight made an emergency landing at 1.17 a.m. It descended 45,000 feet in just 17 minutes. Prince was given two shots of Narcan in the ambulance, as it was later reported. The first to the surprise of the EMTs didn't rouse him. After the second shot, there was a gasp from Prince as he finally awoke. Just the night before, the iconic musician had played two shows in Atlanta. The dates were rescheduled after he canceled earlier in the month, which representatives have blamed on a bout with the flu. In reality, members of his inner circle would report that he was complaining of pains in his hands and made performing extremely difficult. The audience for those shows at the famed Fox Theater got to see just Prince and his piano. Audience members said he sounded a little hoarse at points, but overall, it was a great show, and Prince seemed to know when he nailed a number or a move. No one imagined the 10 p.m. show would be his last. I think that he was just worn out. It sounded that common about being bored on stage. He knew it was coming. Like, he just... He was done. At least from what everyone says, right? I mean, he wasn't that old. 57. The other comment you said he made was, maybe I've done all that I'm supposed to do. Maybe that's how he felt. But he did put out a lot of music. Five days later, April 21st, 2016, Prince 
is dead from an accidental fentanyl overdose. There's surveillance footage hours before his death with Prince dressed in black and looking gaunt can be seen walking into doctor's office with friend and bodyguard Kirk Johnson. For that visit, text messages from Johnson's phone reveal that he'd written to Michael D. Schullenberg, Prince's doctor, saying, Prince is asking for fluid. Can you call me? His former fiance and music collaborator, Sheila E., told ABC News in 2016, the day after his death, that he'd suffered many injuries from performing. Surveillance footage showed the bodyguard Johnson at a Walgreens picking up a prescription hours before Prince's death. Prince's doctor had prescribed a medication used to treat opioid withdrawal. The next morning, Phone messages show the doctor texting Johnson, I have records and test results. I can drive over if it would help. Better for privacy. The morning of Prince's death, deputies rushed to Prince's Paisley Park Estate. His doctors were also arriving to find rescue units already on the scene. Prince's body was discovered in an elevator at the Paisley Park compound. The Carver Community Sheriff's Office told ABC News in a statement. Police said they found pills scattered all over his home some in blankets, others mixed together in the same bottle. Carver County attorney Mark Metz told reporters Thursday that Prince thought he was taking Vicodin to manage pain in an unknowingly taken counterfeit pills laced with fentanyl. Prince had no idea he was taking counterfeit pills that would kill him, Metz mm-hmm. said. Metz said law enforcement were unable to determine who'd provided the counterfeit Vicodin laced with fentanyl that killed Prince despite intensive investigations. Allegedly, he's found in an elevator by himself. I think Paisley Park is empty at this point. So Prince does die alone. That's everything that I've read and seen. People that loved him, you know, they say that was the most tragic thing about the whole situation that was that he died alone. Yeah. And he said in earlier statements, and I am paraphrasing, that he was ready to be alone at any point because if nobody takes care of you you have to take care of yourself it's it's very interesting that he does die alone poor poor prince he worked his tail off he's made his dreams come true he really really did and he entertained us even if we didn't like certain aspects of his career i guarantee there's one song somebody says i really like that prince song and he was a hell of an entertainer and i am sad i didn't see him in person Me too. Me too. One of his quotes, people say I'm wearing heels because I'm short. I wear heels because the women like them. (laughs) I heard that and I like that too. The one that I appreciate that I, I think is really cool that he wasn't ashamed of. He said, I believe in one God. I pray to him every night. I don't ask for much. I just say thank you. I like that a lot. Well, that's it. Prince, rest in peace, friend, and thank you for the years of entertaining. And um, that concludes tonight's podcast. Tana, how can can people get a hold of you? Well, you can email me at Anna, T-A-N-A, at dead-celebs.com. And I'm at Brent at dead-celebs.com. And you can also see all our past podcasts at dead-celebs.com with YouTube links and Facebook links and more to come as they come. So thank you so much, Tana. Have a good night. Yes. Thank you, Brent.
For a legal disclaimer, please visit www.dead-celebs.com. The Actor Factor brings the industry knowledge to you firsthand from professionals, including working actors, directors, managers, and more. Find it anywhere podcasts are streamed. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide, please reach out. Help is available. Dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline.